Welcome to God is Open. I'm your host, Christopher Fisher. Today on God is Open, we are going to be taking a look at Drew McLeod and his appearance on Pine Creek. And so this will be actually pretty fantastic. I'm trying to move my microphone here a little bit. Um, because uh, I did start watching it. I decided not to finish watching it because I had so much commentary. It's like, I better just live stream this right now. But first, I'd like to share an exciting announcement. Edwin Hatch's book, which we're reviewing uh, last week on uh, God is Open, I have edited, I spent countless hours modifying it and putting it into a readable Kindle format. And so now that is available on Amazon, and we'll also get a book form as well that uh, will match the format of the previous book. And so we'll just start a series. So I'll just jump to the previous book over here. Yeah, so pretty good, pretty exciting stuff. But uh, let's, without further ado, we will share screen and start going over the Pine Creek podcast, podcast, video, wherever, where uh, Drew McLeod, he is interviewed by Pine Creek about basic Christianity. And so much in the same same way that, where is my, my screen? Oh, I got a stop screen and then I have to represent screen. That's kind of dumb but uh, it'll work. So here it is, Drew McLeod, and uh, we'll we'll zoom back to the back. I loved everyone. Christ died for everyone, and everyone can be saved. Yes. All right. So he's going to start by defining provisionism, because uh, P- uh, Pine Creek is uh, curious, doesn't know what these terms mean. A lot of Christian infighting. A provisionist yeah. is, I'm just trying to make this tighter. It's a it's a diet Armenian. A diet Armenian. So you basically swing both ways. Yeah, I think Adam Griffin had some sort of comment. Uh, he he's joining us uh, this morning. He says, "I applaud Drew's efforts, and it's good that he cut short Vela's time with Doug." Okay, yeah, that is also good. Uh, he had a comment in in the side chat. He said, "Well, maybe I'll check out this this midnight mass show. I'd also suggest it. It's pretty good." <laughs> Um, no, a provisionist is someone who believes, I mean, there's like long form and, and, uh, short forms of this, but God loves everyone. Christ died for everyone and everyone can be saved. It's probably like a, okay. A 30 so you're, second just a version. Run, you're just a run of the mill non-Calvinist then. Yeah. It's weird to call a normal Christian a non-Calvinist, but I suppose you could use that term. Yeah, I, I like how Drew, uh, he he rephrases this. He says, this this is a weird way to conceive of what we're talking about. It's like, it's it's not what you encounter in normal speech. Calvinist terminology subverts normal conversation techniques, terms of phrases, thought processes, and starts elevating weird concerns that nobody actually has, and, can, and, it, and it elevates those into the forefront of their theology. So then they start talking about, oh, uh, who, who, who's a fault is salvation? Who gets credit for salvation? What are you talking about? All of that, it's just not normal way people talk about things. If you're giving gifts at Christmas, as Drew McLeod will point out, it's it's weird to say whether someone contributed to the gift in some way. It's it's not how normal people talk. Because I've been told that really there's different flavors of non-calvinism and arminianism so you shouldn't even say arminianism you should just say non-calvinist 
Yeah, I mean, I definitely don't prefer the term non-Calvinist. It kind of makes it sound like what you aren't rather than what you are. I mean, I understand why people say that. Yeah, and also, yeah, you don't want to be defining yourself by what you aren't. You want to be defining yourself positively because there is a perception that if you're identifying yourself as the out group, that the in group is the real group, right? So if you're defining yourselves as not these people, it gives them a special status. And uh, they're not special in Christianity. Maybe in American Christianity, they have some sort of prominence, but pretending like that it's them versus the world, that's pr probably not a good idea to do. That Because they want to say, I'm not a Calvinist, but there's also not any other label like Arminian that I really feel comfortable with. Um, but I'm a non-Calvinist. It's just a weird thing to say. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> yeah, to identify so. yourself by what you're not. But you must hate it when Calvinists come talk to me, right? You must cringe inside and say, or maybe you love it because you see how badly they do. It's pretty cringe. I mean, I think that for atheists or unbelievers like yourself that are familiar with what Calvinism entails, it's very, very difficult to defend as far as like, you know, you asking the question, how do I become a Christian or something like that? Um, I think it's, it's pretty... It's pretty rough, but they Most have the time they seen. have an advantage over you in one sense too, though. Oh yeah, yeah. You What's know, because they really understand what grace is. You just are a flag waving phony. You think you know what grace is? Yeah, it sounds like he's being facetious, but then he follows it up as if it's a serious objection. I, it, it sounds at first like he's kind of making fun of Calvinists, but then he kind of presses but it. You really think that you're important and that you have a part to play in your eternal salvation and got all the power. <laughs> <laughs> so what is it? What is it that you think that they think they have grace better than we do? What I just said, that the reason why if Christianity is true and your version of Christianity is true, the reason why you're going to heaven and the reason why I'm going to hell, if hell's real, is not because of God, but because of us. Where's yeah, the where's the grace always, in that? James I've White is watching. That was kind of a weird. Got to be good. James White is watching. <laughs> He'll get this. I yeah, bet. maybe maybe this will get clipped. Maybe I'll get clipped. Uh, hopefully not. Um, if I say something cringe, I'll be clipped. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think I see grace as just a gift. And it's weird to me to say that if you freely receive a gift, then somehow you've contributed to it. Um, but you have. How? By accepting or rejecting. Right, but that doesn't contribute to the, like, I mean, I know we've we've been criticized before for, uh, have you ever heard anyone use the term analogesis, Doug? Analogesis. No, but I love the word. You've heard exegesis yeah. and eisegesis, right? Right. So analogesis is um, eisegesis through analogy. Uh, so analogies are great, not for proving points or to, for uh, arguing your your version is true rather than someone else's, but for explaining concepts. And so Pine Creek here is forwarding a Calvinist concept of uh, it, you have to do something for these gifts. Uh, you're contributing to that gift giving 
And so an analogy to say you're looking at this in a weird way and um, there's an alternative way to look at this that doesn't involve all this weirdness. It's like, here's a normal thing that we usually do. We don't think about it in that way. What you're doing is weird. Analogy is proper for making this point. Um, it's, it's kind of a you know, a derogatory term. Uh, Brother Layton gets flack for using analogies and, you know, instead of scripture or whatever kind of thing. And so is this call just it a way to kind of nuance what I just said, but really what I said is true, right? Like the reason why you're going to heaven because you accepted the gift. The reason why I go to hell is because I rejected the gift. Yeah. I mean, I think that, I think that's just another way of stating that the condition for receiving salvation is faith, which I don't feel like is very controversial. Uh, the, the illustration that I was going to give is that, you know, if you you have kids, you know, you buy presents for your kids. And then if you give them one and you say, hey, here, take this. And then they say they receive it. But then in what way did they contribute to the gift? I guess I just don't understand that thinking. Like, why is that? Well, make I know. Your child. Yeah, I understand that, uh, that it's not like a, a work where you actually do something major whatever but just the fact that someone has accepted it or they can reject it that puts the most important thing about christianity in the hands of a human not in the hands of god so that that is a weird way of talking about it so let's analogize with a halloween candy so let's say you put out an announcement to the whole neighborhood whole world Whatever kid shows up on my door, I'm going to give candy for. I got enough candy for everyone. Whoever shows up gets it. It's not like them showing up and contributing. Number one, it's not a metaphysical rule. What Doug Pine Creek, uh, I think that's Doug Pine Creek. I think that's his, his full day or something like that. Pine Creek, Doug. What he does and what Calvinists do is they're trying to turn this into metaphysical rules. Like if then else conditionals that are true in the ether. So thereby, all you have to do is follow follow this formula, and then you're you're guaranteed whatever. But when you're handing out Halloween candy, it's 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 you know it's still your prerogative. They show up at your door. You might have promised to everyone. You could still refuse to give it to them. You could give them extra. You could even go out of your way and find kids who have not shown up at your door and give them candy if you so choose. So it's not a metaphysical absolute, but it is a promise and it's a promise that's fulfilled based on character and it's a, a free gift to everyone. It's not like the kids showing up at the door are contributing. That's that's not the point. They're, they're not actually adding anything of value to you handing out the candy uh, such that they're actually involved in some sort of exchange of promises, any sort of contractual action. They're not part of the contract. A gift is not a contract. They're not performing in order to get to, to uh, fulfill their side of some sort of bargain or agreement. What they're doing is they're responding to some sort of promise or incentive that was put out there. And I guess a good way to explain provisionism, and to the extent that I'm a provisionist, uh, I believe that God has given this offer of free candy to whoever show up at his door on Halloween. And uh, people can choose to respond or not to respond. Maybe maybe some people haven't got the message, but it has been broadcast far and wide. So in that sense, maybe maybe I'm a provisionist. But I think that might be a better analogy because then it's not 
uh, you give gifts to your kids because your kids are your blood. Uh, they're your near relations and you love them. Whereas on Halloween, it's just whoever shows up, right? Anyone can respond. Anyone be, can be given that gift. Hmm. I would think that the most important thing about Christianity would be Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, which was very much in the hands of Christ and God. But this meaningless. Um, like, let's say if every person who's ever lived rejected the gift, then what use was Christ dying on the cross? Like, it was all for naught. Hmm. Right? So, so this question does come up within the Bible. And it comes up with John the Baptist, where the Jews think that they're saved by virtue of being Jews. And uh, John the Baptist stops them and says, hey, don't you think that you're going to be saved by virtue of being Jewish? Don't you know God can raise new sons of Abraham from these rocks? He's saying God could destroy all of Israel, like he, he's tried to do many times previously within the Bible, and, uh, and sometimes repent, sometimes convinced out of it, sometimes... Uh, like, for example, he wanted to create new lines of Israel through people like Moses and others. He's convinced out of it and has gone with body Israel. But John the Baptist says he could still destroy all of Israel and still get his plans accomplished by creating new people because God is innovative and practical. So Pine Creek's objection that maybe everyone rejects God. Well, he could just keep creating people until he gets people that don't reject him if he still wanted. That's John the Baptist's answer. I mean, if hypothetically everyone rejected the gift, which, I mean, we're talking about an alternate reality, I guess, because we're excluding like what we would call Old Testament sites and that sort. Um, but that would make it for nothing. Like no one would be saved. I would just say that like God successfully demonstrated his love for mankind I don't know that that's really a failure on his part, but. Well, but if. Yeah, and there was a point in the Bible where God was done with the mankind experiment and was ready to just throw his hands up and say, no more men. Uh, we don't need men. And uh, but it was subverted because Noah found favor in the eyes of God. But that is still an option that God could just be without men. And it's it's not like the world falls apart or anything like that. It's not like it it's not like I don't I don't know what Doug's getting at here. If the whole point of the death and resurrection was to save people and no one was saved, then the main purpose of <laughs> David says, I've always been proud of my contribution to my Halloween candy intake. Yeah, we had a bunch of those Rolos left over. Like the kids will eat everything else except for those little Rolos. Uh, I think they're the new, uh, what are those, those hard, hard caramel candies that old people give out that, that are actually pretty good. Those little, those sucky caramel things, Wrangler starts with a W, but uh, I think those are the new ones that the old people buy these Rolo things and no, no, no kid likes them. No one likes those Rolos. The crucifixion and the resurrection becomes meaningless in this hypothetical. Hmm. Yeah, I think that that's kind of like an important discussion point in these conversations is, um, you know, did Christ's death burial? And David points out it's Werther's. Yeah, I need to be like an old man buying these Werther's candies and handing them out to like kids. I have a Werther's kid and they're pretty good. 
resurrection was the purpose of that to save people. I don't think that you, I don't think that it wasn't the, that. I wasn't mean, the I guess. The, no. What would you say is the purpose then? Well, I think the purpose of, well, I, I put, I put me here so that I could see the comments and then I was hearing myself from two seconds ago but yeah, make sure you maybe mute. I don't want to look at the comments I, I, just yeah I'm just make sure you mute that well yeah, yeah go ahead and look at the comments because you'll know what I have to go through <laughs> talking <Okay>. to people <laughs> and reading and <laughs> yeah yeah no I feel you I mean we have our own channel and and uh reading comments and doing live and talking at the same time is, is and I have to go and I also but, have um, to uh continually double check my audio and everything make sure it's yeah it's a lot of cognitive load for sure for sure um will you repeat your question one more time i forgot what it was well i i think the purpose of uh jesus coming from your point of view would be to save souls so they don't go to hell and so they go to heaven sure it's also that they might have life on planet earth and have it to the full but life is like a vapor as it says in the script so i would disagree with that um our, the end goal of Christianity is not a life in heaven, save people to go to heaven, but it's a restored earth, right? Every, every apocalypse is about a reforming of earth and creating a righteous people for God so God could live with man on earth. It's not this escapism. Let's escape and go to heaven. Let's live in the ether or something like that. Those, those are the platonic value sets that we're escaping the earth. Christianity is about reformed earth it's about a coming kingdom it's about here and now it's about practical concerns in this life it's about the world that we live in scriptures so the real issue here is to inherit eternal life and if if it is true that no one everyone rejects that gift then jesus died for nothing it was a waste of time um and so the main point of all of this is to say that you have a bit of a disadvantage over the Calvinists because the Calvinists at least can say it is all God and not man. You have to say it's partially God, partially man. Yeah. Again, that's weird. Uh, it's like, it's partially the kids that come to my door for Werther's candy. It's partially me. No, it's, it's, it's all me. They could show up by my door. I could be like, get away from here. I'm not actually giving you anything. It's all me. It's all my decision. It's not theirs. Uh, when you're handing out the candy, they're not playing a part in it. They're not contributing anything. I mean, I guess, I guess it depends on what you're talking about, partially God and partially man. The, the first thing I would say is that you would, if I were talking to a Calvinist brother or if I'm talking to you, I would ask, like, what is the scriptural evidence that God's purpose in sending Christ to die was to save people? In other words, like, if that was the purpose, then when Christ died and was raised from the dead, then people would have just been saved then, right? So I don't see that. I see God as setting forth a provision for forgiveness of sin. Huh? Yeah, provision. Um, and then so one thing we should point out is that the Bible is a historical catalog of God's failed attempts to reach humanity through all sorts of uh, different ways. He tries to reach them directly through Adam and Eve. That fails. He leaves them on their own for a little bit. That experiment in the world fails. Uh, then after the flood, uh, he tries to deal with them individually until Abraham comes on the scene. And then he tries to create a priest nation 
and uh, form them into a priest nation to lead the world to God. That fails. He sends Jesus, and Jesus' mission was not, he's not preaching salvation to heaven. He's preaching moral reformation of the Jews so that the Jews could still be that priest nation and lead the world to God. That, it, that was still the idea, and that fails. They kill him. And then guess what? After that, the apostles are supposed to preach that same message. The Jews don't receive that. And finally, you have in Romans, uh, Paul, he, he, gets, he gets called as a missionary to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles are grafted in. The Jews are cut off. And all the promises of the mystery are to the Gentiles. God has to reach out to the Gentiles, give them equal status in, in, in this world in order to try to do another thing to try to reach people in a different way. So the Bible is a catalog of God's failed attempts to reach mankind. So I don't think like a failure is like devastating to Christianity. That's that is the story of Christianity. God's continual failures to reach mankind, mankind continually rejecting God and God doing what he can. The story of the vineyard, Isaiah 5, what more could I have done? He's like, now I'm going to just destroy you all. And the second, and then the second thing I was going to say is, I, I agree that there's an intellectual price tag with any belief, right? And so you said it's it's partially man and partially God. I mean, I would dispute that a little bit. Um, you don't call yourself a synergist? No, I do not. Oh, really? I call myself a libertarian monergist. So libertarian free will monergist. Um, this is a big point of discussion between me, us, and our Calvinistic brethren, and even some of my fellow. The funny thing is that synergy is a word that's actually used in the Bible. God is working all things. And so that word synergy, all things together. Uh, I have a book that somebody sent me that uh, he explains in it how it's like God's working with us to make all things good. That word's actually used within the Bible. Monergism is not a word used in the Bible provisionists or Arminians disagree with me on this, but I don't like synergist means to cooperate essentially. Right. right. So I don't, I don't see God's act of saving us or saving me as something that I cooperated with. I see it like, as I, you know, we respond in faith, God have mercy on me a sinner. And then he saves me monergistically in response so Roddy writes, I know this sounds horrible, but I wouldn't waste my time going around in circles with someone that isn't genuinely interested in the gospel. Okay, so the reason that I went on, what's what's that atheist, uh, uh, oh, I went on that atheist show. My point was not to preach to them the gospel and convert their hearers, but my idea is that these people could be our allies in fighting Calvinism because Calvinism re relies on special pleading when they're reading the Bible. They they reject what the Bible actually says, and they have their special Calvinist lenses. And so if we could get the atheists to start repeating and arguing our own talking points, then it's it's like it's like using your enemy of your enemy against you. It's like having Russia fight Germany while we're fighting Germany. It's like we we're really not friends with we shouldn't be friends with uh, Russia. FDR shouldn't have been best buds. But you could use your enemy as a tool in your fight against a malicious forces. And so I, I hope that's what Drew is doing here is to explain biblical Christianity and explain to Pine Creek 
why Calvinism rejects that biblical Christianity such that when Pine Creek is engaging with these Calvinists, they're using our arguments. That that would be the benefit of uh, enlisting atheists as allies. Sometimes it doesn't work because atheists tend to be really bad people. Like uh, that Josh guy that uh, I went on that podcast with, Dr. Josh or something like that. I was watching a podcast with him. He's putting his pronouns in his bio, stuff like that. It's, I, I don't think you could reason with these people, some of these people. But it's still monergistic. It's still him doing it. I'm not, I'm not like helping him save me or cooperating in that salvation work, if that makes sense. Whoa, 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 no, 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 no. Yeah, Sam writes, I think Drew is doing this more for the listeners than for Pine Creek. Drew isn't dumb. Yeah, absolutely. There's there are absolutely some listeners of Pine Creek which have not considered this alternative blend of Christianity. And so it's something that they're gonna have to put in their data set and consider. And perhaps some of them might be saved. No, you are helping him save you by accepting the gift. Um I don't think so. So can you be saved another... if you reject the gift? The answer is no. God's no. not going to force. You. Well, God can. It's 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 within God's prerogative to make that decision. So Pine Creek again is thinking metaphysics. Pine Creek says uh, God set up this metaphysical rule if then else and it must occur no matter what. God has no say in the matter. God is just impersonal in dispensing whatever outcome there is. God's a person, right? And so, yeah, you, maybe maybe God can bring someone to heaven who doesn't fulfill those requirements. It, it is a possibility that we do have to consider. We, we have an example of someone not using the death of Christ to get their sins, uh, sins forgiven within the Bible. The burning coal in Isaiah's mouth, where the, the burning coal forgives his sins. I know some people claim that's Jesus. I, I don't see it in the text, but we do have examples of that. You, right? But but what I'm trying to get at is that synergism comes from to work together or cooperate, right? And then you've got monergism, which is one worker. So it's either that you're working together or there's one person working. So in the act of salvation, Christ is the one who's doing all of the saving. I'm not I'm not contributing to myself being saved any more than someone being someone who's grabbed hold of a rope and is being dragged ashore is contributing. What's the very first to, what's the very first thing that one needs to do to be saved? Um repent and believe, I suppose. Okay. Did you repent and believe? Yep. Did you do that or did God? Yeah, I did it. I mean, even Calvinists would agree that they did it. it was, right? Yes, it was you. Well, no, Calvinists would say the first step in salvation is God's regeneration. God. So, yeah, like just just the thought process that he's he's adopting the Calvinist language. What has the child on Halloween done to get the candy? Well, first they got in their car and then they drove to your house. Yeah, but it's it's just it's a promise by the owner of the house who owns the candy to hand it out and dispense it. They're not really doing anything for it. He's not rewarding them. For those actions, he's he's giving them this gift uh, due to circumstances, right? And so it, it's weird to say it's a contribution. God acts first, but with you, the very first step was repent and believe. That is something that, as if Christianity is true, I should go. Yes, good job, Drew. You did it. <laughs> you. I don't did know it. about that. 
I don't think I don't think anybody thinks in this way. I think it's a I just think it's a really weird. Well, the reason why they don't I mean, think like, this way is because if they start thinking this way, they would realize that maybe the Calvinists are right. But then they got another no, problem because that makes God look like a <laughs> schmuck. And so you guys are just going to there's always a downside, like you said, and your downside is that you're going to heaven because of what you did. So here, here's the way that I would say it. David says, I worked up a really big sweat by repenting and believing. Uh, yeah, yep, absolutely. It's, it's all you. What, what's really funny is that within the Bible, people talk about saving themselves all the time and saving others as if they're the casual element. And so it's, it's not like this language is the language that Pine Creek is absolute certain that should be abandoned because it makes God, quote unquote, look like a schmuck or something like that. Uh, the biblical authors just talked like normal people. They're not talking about the intricacies of uh, metaphysical contributions to some sort of formula in the ether. They're just talking like normal people. I preached to this guy and uh, he got saved, so I saved him. Right, but that doesn't that's not mutually exclusive with them thinking, well, salvation is a gift from God and not of ourselves. Right? That it's not those are not mutually exclusive terms. They're just different contexts of uh, talking about different things that happened in different ways. So there are lots of things that God did, right? God sent his son. Uh he his son laid down his life willingly for the sins of humanity. He rose again on the third day. He inspired the scriptures. He brought the message to us uh, from the apostles. That was passed down throughout the ages. God's at work amidst all of that. God brings us the gospel through a messenger or through the TV or through us reading or whatever else. Hopefully and then the we, TV. <laughs> hey, man, you know, some, the, the gospel's in there in some of those places. It just depends on who's speaking. But um, And then we respond, you know, it says, but God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, you hear that and then you say, wow, God have mercy but on us. But nothing what you said respond. changes the fact that I just pointed out that the very first step to salvation is something you have to do. But, it, but it's not, though. Like, I, I, think, that, I think that it assumes, I'm, I'm not trying to make fun, by the way, if I'm smiling or whatever. Like, um, No, smiling's good. We, we, I, we endorse smiling here on the Pine Creek channel. Good, good. So I get Pine Creek points for smiling. Oh, you got rid of that. I got rid of that anymore. Because you're okay. the followers of Pine Creek, their rewards are in the afterlife. Okay, cool. Cool, cool, cool. Um, I guess what I was gonna say is that when it comes to trying or uh that we are the first step in the salvation process, that that's as though I mean there are a few things here at play, like I don't think that God is beginning the process of salvation when he starts, you know, drawing on someone or inviting them or whatever else, such that then we suddenly contribute in the middle of that process with faith and repentance so that I get 1% of the pie or whatever. Um, but you believe that if God draws you, you can still reject him, right? It's not a mandatory as soon as god starts that process of drawing people people still have the free will to reject right yeah i would take a, a little bit of a nuanced position on the whole drawing thing uh, i would say that the drawing is irresistible but it's in such a way that compels a free decision so oh, you're that's like with having that's having it both ways 
Can you yep. can go? Can, <laughs> you admit it. <laughs> You're having it both it's ways. You can't have it both ways. If God starts the drawing process, are you free to reject God? Say no. I want nothing to do with you. Yes. Okay. So then you believe then that ultimately one's eternal destiny destiny is in the hands of the human, not the hands of God. Yes, God set it up. God paid the price and everything. Look how weird that framing is. So it'd be like, you believe ultimately that the destiny of getting candy is in in the kid's hands on Halloween and not on the person handing out that candy. No, the, the person handing out the candy is the one deciding 100% whether or not to give out that candy, the conditions whether to give out that candy, and can choose to withhold that candy or hand it out to other people on other conditions as well. The person handing out the candy has all the power, not the person that's driving around. They might be an accidental beneficiary of how you distribute your candy by performing certain actions, but they're not the cause and they're not contributing. They're not adding anything to it. It's a weird thing. He's, he's, he's adopting, it's weird, he's adopting the Calvinist talking points, their logic, whereas that's not how normal people talk, right? And so he says, if you just adopt weird ways that no one talks like, then you'll you'll feel silly for believing things if you adapt, adopt the Calvinist language. But normal people just don't think or talk like this. But unless someone responds to it, it's all for naught for that person if they reject it. Yeah, I mean, I think I think I would say that it's it's all for naught in the sense that they don't they don't receive the everlasting life and the forgiveness that God wanted for them. Right, which is the point um, of but, salvation. But, I mean, the point of resurrection and crucifixion. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think I I think that, and I think that's okay in terms of God. <laughs> So this might be controversial to a lot of people, you know, Christians that might end up watching this and stuff, but I'm not one of those Christians that would say like God always gets what he wants. So in that sense, I think controversial, that's the story of the Bible. The entire Bible is about this. I think that there's an obvious sense in which God desires everyone to be saved and in which not everyone responds positively and he doesn't get what he wants. And I don't see that as an issue. It is but an issue. I was going to ask something. It, uh, to me, I, I don't want to labor this to death, but this is what the advantage the Calvinists have over you, and that is they can say with a straight face, it's all God, not man. This is grace with a... It's a moralistic argument. And so Pine Creek, it's one thing I've noticed from Pine Creek is sometimes he'll rely on moralistic type fallacies. Like, wouldn't it be terrible... If you can't say that it's all man or all God and none man, wouldn't that be wouldn't that make you feel sad inside? No, it's it's that's a moralistic argument. It doesn't matter. Uh what what's real is real, regardless of how it makes you feel inside. The capital G. And but you have to say, well, yes, it, God did this, he did this, he did this, but you need to repent, believe, you need to do all these things. God's not gonna force you. So ultimately. It's in the hands of the human. The reason why you're going to heaven is because of what you did. You repented. You believed. And what I didn't do, I didn't repent, didn't believe. So good for you, bad for me. That's the way it is.
yeah can would you maybe a good way of, of uh couching it would be there's I'm, I'm gonna steal this illustration i've heard brother layton use this illustration so do you call him brother layton two, i call him brother layton out of respect so um layton just feels a little bit too informal oh i so would i would from, call him brother he probably may, feels old if you do that just call him layton he, maybe he probably maybe cries he, 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 he probably cries every time you say the word brother in front of Layton because it's like <laughs> am I that old <laughs> he'll have to tell me whether or not he wants me to uh brother Layton slash Layton uh if you're watching this let me know which, which you would prefer <laughs> I'm not going to call him I'm, brother from Layton. I'm from North Carolina where you shouldn't call him brother Layton right but um <laughs> the reason why I I'm tempted to do that is because I'm from North Carolina and so we grew up saying, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, and so on. And now I live in New Zealand and they do none of that. But I still have like that sort of respect, you know, type thing. And so because I don't want to say uh, doctor or yeah. mister. You're from the South. So, brother. yeah, bless, bless your heart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what was that? You were, oh, the illustration. So, so there's generally speaking people look at it as though there's like one pie of like salvation and that a slice of that pie is our repentance and faith and so we get like two percent of the pie because it's our repentance and faith is two percent of that but if you look at it as <laughs> drew pops it he says hey it's me i he, he missed the whole conversation before i i made a thumbnail of your face very large and so while you're sleeping because i don't know what time it is in new zealand like 2 a.m. I'm just guessing because I have no no earthly idea. And so you're supposed to be asleep. What are you doing up at this ungodly hour of the so night? You're 100% responsible for repentance and faith. And God is 100% responsible for um, the, the act of salvation, of forgiveness and, and the bestowal of grace and I mean, all of the things that come before that, the scriptures. But everything's linked together. And, like, uh, you know the verses, you have to run the good race. If you stumble, you have to get up. The only one who gets the prize is the one who crosses the finish line. Well, since Drew is in the comments, we'll have to quickly summarize uh, what we've talked about about him so far to catch him up to speed. We said, Drew McLeod has done an awful job, just despicable. This man should be ashamed of himself. And then, like, the other half of the show was talking about your hair. Which is nice. That's all on you, right? I wouldn't say it's all on us. I mean, God is certainly assisting and helping and with us and not forsaking us and all of that sort of stuff. But, um, but I guess that's just how I would I would answer that problem or question is that I don't I don't see this capital G grace. And then I mean, like you said, though, like. A lot of other things come along with that, right? That means that those that don't believe God just, he's just not interested in them, which I think is a problem, not just for the character of God, but just for the scriptures. Yeah, so I'm under the opinion that God could save who he wants to save, even if they don't follow some sort of formula, repent or believe. I think it's God's prerogative Regardless, so if God really likes, so let's say Norm MacDonald was like uh, a heathen. I think he's a good Christian man, uh, but let's pretend he's a heathen and God says, well, I actually really want this guy in heaven because, no, he's fun to hang out with and talk to. He's an interesting character. I think God has that prerogative. 
And so I don't think I don't I don't I think we put too much stock in in formulas rather than in personal relationships. What, what I teach. Um, oh yeah, and then we also have to consider that the Bible throughout has a motif that people are judged uh, by which how much how much knowledge they have, how, how responsible they are for certain situations. And so someone who's born without chromosomes is not going to be judged on the same standards as uh, people born with normal cognition. You know, people are judged based on what they're given. Teachers are judged with a higher standard. Um, that's just how it works, that God God takes individual considerations into account. So thinking everything's so formalistic doesn't it, it cuts out a lot of the personal, the personal relationship aspect, the the situational detail that we might see within the Bible. So I'm happy to pray that pay that price tag, um, not just because I believe it's what the scriptures teach. I mean, I think that's the main reason. Okay, well let's let's get off the uh, Calvinist non-Calvinist thing. Um, let's talk about your. And Jesus said that we would gripe about who else got in. Yeah, I think that's that's a pretty easy prediction to make. That Christians will complain about who gets saved. I, I Christians complain about who's in the, in their church with them. Version of Christianity and why you think it's actually true to begin with. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so why do I think Christianity is true? Yeah. Like what? When I ask that question, what pops into your head? What What do you think of? I think of the resurrection of Jesus. So that's always been very compelling to me. I think that. But that's what I'm asking. Kid, I'm asking, why do you think Jesus actually rose from the dead? Yeah. I mean, I guess in short, I would say that I believe the gospel counts to be uh, reliable and accurate. And why? Yeah. So it's, it's interesting that Bart Ehrman talks about this question and Bart Ehrman, he doesn't discount the historical evidence that people saw Jesus raised from the dead, but he does talk about Bart Ehrman's an atheist uh, and he's a biblical scholar. He does talk about, he says, well, I, it's not enough to convince me because there are mass after death hallucinations that are shared in other examples. And so he, he says it could be like one of these things where it's a, yeah, yeah, they saw what they saw. They recorded what they saw, but it, it's one of these mass hallucination events that we see elsewhere. And so it, it's interesting that he's he's confirming the evidence. I mean, real, real biblical scholars, even the secular ones, all believe Jesus existed. Some atheists would deny that. Uh, he was on Infidel Guy, Bart Ehrman. And just destroying the infidel guy who's claiming that Jesus didn't exist. And so we do have historical evidence. We do have accounts of people who have saw Jesus raised. We have people who had met those people and talked to those people and recounted those people. There is historical evidence of it. And so what is our historical evidence of any particular event occurring? It's like you, you just have to use the same historical evidence standards. And so there was some sort of experience. There was some sort of mass experience. And you could interpret that data how you will. Why do you think um, they're reliable and accurate? Jordan writes, there aren't group hallucinations. That's an interesting claim. I mean... Or let me, let, let, let me be more specific. Is there... Let's start with this. Is there anything in the Bible or in the New Testament specifically that you think is not accurate? 
no. So I would be. So Jordan writes, unless one begs the question on certain apparitions or appearances. Yeah. So one thing, uh, like in DMT experiences, a lot of times people can have a shared experience while they're zoned out in some sort of mythical realm, right? And so the question is, are humans in some way mentally connected to each other on a global scale? Uh, There's theories about that and how our brains interact. And in what way do they interact? Are these hallucinations, are they real? Or are they actually happening in some sort of sense? Or is there a shared psychic connection in another sense about things which are fake? There, there's all sorts of different solutions. And yeah, so it, it might not be hallucinations. It might be real, but it also could be hallucinations. But there are shared experiences of the quote-unquote supernatural sense in which people who are remote from each other experience the same thing, although they're not connected. It's sometimes after deaths of individuals, you're able to that people see those individuals after they had died, but before any news of those deaths have reached them. There, there's some sort of some sort of connection out there, whether it be uh, a psychic connection, whether it be a ghostly world, spiritual world, an ethereal world that we somehow have connection to. Yeah, it's it does exist in some way. In inerrantist, I don't believe there's anything that's inaccurate. So you think everything in the New Testament is that claims to be true is perfectly true. Yeah, in the in the original manuscripts, yeah. In the original, man- oh, so you're saying that in the manuscripts that we have today, that there are some problems? Well, yeah, so, so the inerrantist position, and I'm not like by any means an expert on this, but as I understand it, it's saying that the original manuscripts were inerrant, and that the manuscripts copies that we have now are reliable uh, copies of the originals. Okay. Because we don't have because we we don't have the originals, right? Like reliable or perfect? Actual, like, uh, I would say go with reliable are an accurate reflection of the originals, which are okay. So like, even if it's ninety nine percent, that's good enough for you. Yeah, and Bart Ehrman makes this point too that uh, the differences that we do have in the various manuscripts are very, very minor in detail and typically don't change the subject matter. Typically, it's things like spelling. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess I would say that I think that the there are things that um, like really smaller issues or whatever that might be a little bit ambiguous, but the main central things and central themes, especially in terms of for uh, sound doctrine and salvation. And are how did you come to the clear. conclusion that the original documents that are perfect or even or from God? Yeah, well, I guess I came to the conclusion to start off with because I was that's just what I was taught. Um, but then as that was tested over time, you know, you do research and you Google things and you read stuff and you feel like that's confirmed. So like what? Um, like what did you as you 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 were indoctrinated with it but then after a while you said okay is this really true what did you research what did you find out that made you think oh yeah uh the creator of the universe is behind this and then it's true yeah um i mean there are some theological considerations in terms of like um what god does to guide a believer to 
continued evidence or something like that, but that's kind of besides the point. Um, yeah, that becomes really circular really fast. <laughs> right? Yeah. How, how so? If, if you're convinced by something by personal experience, it, it doesn't mean it's circular. It just means you're probably not going to be convinced others of that fact for the same reason. Right. And so if you have a personal revelation from God or something like that, Pine Creek's not going to accept that evidence. He might call it circular, but it might be actually pretty good evidence for the person who got that revelation. Well, if if you're getting at that God leads people to see the evidence for the scriptures being true, then how do you know that the scriptures are true? Because God has led me. How do you know God has led you? Because it says in the scriptures. Right. So right. circular. Right. But like right. we got a man claiming we have uh, co uh, complete the circle. I, I I didn't see the circular reasoning. It's it's not good evidence for convincing others because they're not operating from the same base of thought. And so it, it's not, it's not good for convincing. Some people are convinced by experiences. Sometimes you could tell personal stories and it resonates with people and they really connect, but it's not like a scientific proof. Some men writing some stuff down 2000 years ago saying another man named Jesus died and rose from the dead. What makes you think that's actually true? Yeah, I mean, just kind of off the cuff here without being able to do, you know, any Googling or stuff like that. First, you asked me kind of how did I sort of reconfirm that or whatever. Uh, more than a carpenter is a pretty, uh, I mean, it's very lay level. It's very basic and stuff like that. But that felt like a really compelling argument for the reliability of the scriptures. Um, that's a book by Josh McDowell. There's something going on with Drew's shadows in the background. I keep thinking there's someone else in the room with him. I think it's every time he moves his chair, the shadows on the wall. It's like, is there someone there watching you? Where Sean McDowell also inserted some of his own comments on new atheism and stuff like that. Um, and then... I'm still not hearing anything specific. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess it was the like, you know, something like the preponderance of uh, the, the sheer number of manuscripts that all match. I mean, there's something like the Dead Sea Scrolls that was like a 99.99% okay, you know, reflection of Isaiah. I, I've heard these things so many times in my life, and I always ask the same things, and it kind of gets boring for me in a way, but... Sure, like you, I can imagine. You can, you can have identical copies of something that doesn't mean the original is true so i'm asking why do you think it's true why do you think jesus rose from the dead why do you think the bible has anything to do with a god and if you just say well it's it's popular it has what a lot of manuscripts mean? like that doesn't mean anything right what do you mean why does the bible have anything to do with god yeah like could it be so yeah where, where would i go to it's like well the historicity of the Bible has been confirmed in many ways. And so one, one of the things, uh, when I was on that other atheist show, I talked about the global flood. This global flood actually happened. It's a world memory. There's hundreds of cultures throughout the world with this memory in their stories with very, very strikingly similar details. And what's his response? His response is, well, there might've been like a dude going around telling these stories and then they all adopted it in their culture. Yeah, no, that's that is too much. That's too much begging. Uh, where, where did this uh, handsome general comment go? He 
I th think he's an atheist, but he said, struggling with cognitive dissonance, dissonance the rest of your life after believing a myth is real hard work. Yeah, it, it takes a lot of cognitive dissonance to think that the flood is not a world memory that every single culture has uh, the same details about the same event, right? You have fossils of fish on tops of the mountains. We had a global flood. It's a world memory. It, it's a confirmed event in the Bible. You look at other things. Uh, what I also pointed out was carbon-14 in diamonds. It's not contamination. Diamonds are the hardest substance, right? It's it's not uh, neuron capture. The, the, the amounts of carbon found in the diamonds don't don't add up to that. It doesn't make any sense. We're finding carbon-14 in diamonds. These are young diamonds. We're finding carbon-14 that's not contamination in dinosaur bones. Guess what? Pine Creek's worldview don't account for very basic facts, and they have to go through absurd jumps of logic. They have to go through absurd storytelling in order to try to deny the truth of these facts, right? And so they'll just tell wild outlandish stories and pretend they're true in order to avoid these facts. It's 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 evidence. It's like what what honest atheist have you ever met? What person actually cares about the science? Stephen Jay Gould, he wrote The Measure of Man and it was filled with political based lies about the nature of IQ. Things like uh, the, uh, the size of the head versus your IQ. He was claiming all those things were made up. Why? Because he's a political actor. These are bad people. And so show me the honest atheist and show me who someone who actually cares about the evidence and actually considers maybe they might be wrong about something and doesn't try to hand wave very inconvenient facts for their views. Right. Show me that. Be true that the Bible is written by men and could it be true that a God exists? And that the Bible has nothing to do with them. Yeah. Okay. So my question is, how did you make this connection? How did you figure out that this God has something to do with the Bible, that the Bible is reliable, that Jesus actually rose from the dead? Hmm. Have, you, have you, you never been asked this before? No, I have. I have. But, you know, we're on a live stream and uh, it's being recorded and uh, I just kind of jumped on. But oh, yeah, if I you're feeling my... pressure from me, I mean, don't just... Probably the best thing is don't try to come up with an answer that you think is the most defensible. Just come be, just be honest. Sure. Like what, and you were, you, sure. when you started, you said that um, you were taught it, but you know, as people get older. They, yeah, I guess. And, and what I mean by that, right. Is that like, uh, we all essentially believe what we believe growing up because that's what we're taught. And it's not until those things are tested or challenged that you even begin to question that. And some people continue with what they've been taught and other people change. Yeah. Um, so that was, that's just why I was saying that because you asked, I was trying to be specific because you asked like, how did you come to this belief? Well, how, how I came to it was I just, you know, believe what people told let, me. Let me um, tackle this question from a different, uh, using a different method here. If, if all you had was Paul's letters and nothing else, do you think you'd be a Christian today? Uh, I, my answer would be no. If all I had is Paul's letters, no. Would you believe it's true? It's hard to imagine that, I guess, because you have like an image of all of these different things that Jesus said and did.
and you wouldn't have any of that. You would just have letters of a guy talking about Jesus. Right. So you would have all of Paul's letters, and I'm not sure if you think all of them are, well, yeah, you do. You think all of them are authentic. Um, would that be enough for you to say, yeah, Jesus rose from the dead? I don't know. Okay, those are two different questions. Uh, so if Paul's letters, would would it make me think that Jesus rose from the dead? Maybe. Uh, maybe is the answer to that. It's like he does provide some evidence, but then uh, you have to evaluate the letters. Is Paul making things up? What, what's he doing? What's the culture at the time? Uh, what, what kind of corroborating evidence does he have? Things like that. But if we had no Old Testament and no New Testament except for the letters of Paul, he'd just be another interesting early witness in uh, world history, right? It, uh, maybe there would be Christians and Christianity, but uh, it, it'd be hard to say. Um, I mean, I guess I would lean more towards a no than I would a yes, but I guess my, my main answer is just that I don't know. I mean, I'm aware that, for instance, and you, you know, this will not be new information to you. You know, one, one Corinthians 15, I think it's three and four is commonly understood as like one of the earliest Christian creeds. And that was written something like uh, 15 or 20 years after Christ died um, and rose from the dead. And so if, I mean, I guess I would say that if that's true, you know, hypothetically speaking, Doug, if that's true. Jordan writes that personal experience is probably why the vast majority of people are Christian worldwide. And Jordan's absolutely correct. People are not logical and rational. They don't look at facts and evidence to come to various conclusions. A lot of times atheists don't either. When you figure out like Bart Ehrman, why, why he's not a Christian is like, oh, the problem of evil. It made me so sad inside. I couldn't be a Christian anymore. Like, okay. Um, that's not like a, a rational argument that's that's like a moralistic uh, argument that's which is a fallacy but most most people operate and behave in this matter it's a manner so that's why in debates it's typically not the person providing the best evidence the both the best nuance and the best the best a series of arguments it's usually the one who looks more confident wins the one who's more funny wins because people do when it comes down to it human nature doesn't care about evidence as much as they care about the personal aspect that the personal feelings that one gets from from certain relationships people are convinced through through other people you, you don't convince them through uh josh mcdowell's evidence that demands a verdict hand them a big book like this like read this book and then they, they like read it and they're like now i'm a christian that that's not how people are evangelized they're evangelized based on personal experience. And so, yeah, people are generally irrational. And so Doug, Doug is, uh, Doug has been a little bit irrational himself. So he's not, he's not immune to this. His whole, it's like, it'd be partly you and partly God. And that would be, oh man, the Calvinists have such an advantage. It's like, I, I, I guess that's, I, I guess that's a thing. I, I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't sound rational. But even even atheists are taken by this. If you could find if you could find a document that was written ten to fifteen years after someone died mm -hmm. and allegedly rose from the dead, and someone said, 
that he did rise from the dead and knew all of these other people that he rose from the dead, do you think that would be enough? Or would for you me? still say no? No, not even yeah. close. But it is for you mm -hmm. or no? I think... I, I guess I just don't know how to conceptualize that. Like who who would... It's easy, so Jesus it's, would it's just easy be, to conceptualize. So imagine everything torn out of the New Testament except for Paul's letters. And the question is, do you think that if you were presented the, with the gospel, let's say you weren't raised in Christianity. And yeah, that should be a pretty easy answer. Uh, Drew says, Drew, you're fumbling. He's he's looking back on his prior self and giving his prior self advice. I don't think time works like that. I don't think I don't think you could time travel and to give yourself vibes from. Oh, if you're a Calvinist, you you could pray for things in the past. So maybe start praying real quickly. Uh, it might correct this situation. And you were presented with the gospel or the this Christianity and but all you have is Paul's letters. Do you think you'd buy it? Do you think you'd say, oh yeah, I think this is true. But can you see how, and maybe this. Yeah, so if we only had Paul's letters, I don't think hardly anyone would be Christian. It, it depends. There's a lot of social political maneuvering with Christianity. Um, it, it became dominant in the government. It was government enforced. These, these councils, they only had enforcement where the power of the state had enforcement. Like the first council that happened was about monism. And uh, they're they trying to expel a bishop in, I think he was like in Jerusalem. And they couldn't do it because they, the Romans didn't have political power there at the time. He was being protected by a different monarch. And the locals are not going to kick out their bishop. The locals don't care about some council that's happening in Rome or anything like that. It's the political power which which brought Christianity into the forefront. And so the world might still be Christian without the Gospels in a different sense. But uh, someone who's rational, who's trying to come to a rational conclusion, might have, if they're missing that type of evidence, might not be a Christian. So it, it might be safe to say no. And it would move the conversation along, and uh, Doug wouldn't have to ask like 20 times to try to get his answer. I think he's looking for a soundbite. This is just the way that I think. But can you see how like you have to put the delete button on everything that Jesus has ever said and did, and it would only be what Paul has written? Right. And then you would say, so this random guy, you know, this. So we got, we got we got a guy 2,000 years ago who said Jesus appeared. Okay, so. Drew writes this, a world full of Christians with no biographies of Jesus with a random letter of Paul is hard to imagine. Okay, so think back through Paul's writings. How much biographical information about Jesus does he give us? How much biographical information about the 12 apostles, about Judas does he give us? Paul's letters are not biographical. And so some scholars have argued that he doesn't have access to the four gospels as we know them. And so it, it is a conceivable world in which Paul's letters exist independent of the Gospels. So where is he drawing on the Gospels that show that he is familiar with their circulation? He appeared to me. He appeared to 500. He, he appeared to Peter. He did this and this. This is the purpose of, uh, of why he came. Sure, we don't have the ministry and the things Jesus said, but that's what you have. Would you believe that one man's testimony? Yeah, I guess I would, now that you put it that way, I guess I would say no. Okay, yeah. I wouldn't either. Now, but here's the curious thing. 
you would not believe Paul, if that's all you had, one man's testimony. What about the Gospels makes it more believable to you? So let's say we add in Mark yeah. next. Yeah, I think that this is kind of what you and I got into a little bit of the conversation about. Some of your conversation was with Eric, my co-host. Um, but you and I talked about the issue of uh, you know, two to three witnesses. How, how many two, how many witnesses have self-identified as having seen Jesus risen from the dead? And you and I talked a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that, I think, I think a gospel. So I think simply from a evidentiary point of view, starting with the new Testament is probably a failing proposition because um, may, maybe your view of the New Testament being true is dependent on how it fits in the canon of the Old Testament, where it fits in this 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 history, right? And so, so starting with the New Testament and validating that might be a little bit harder for someone who cares a lot more about evidentiary techniques. Maybe, and it's a lot easier to say, hey, I am a Christian because I think the New Testament fits within the story of the Old Testament canon. And I, I think the Old Testament canon is true for this and this reason. And then you can just start talking about things like carbon-14 dated in dinosaur bones. You can start talking about carbon-14 and diamonds. You could start talking about the global history of the flood. Things like that that corroborate uh, the truth of the Old Testament. Or give us data points, uh, cities like uh, Sodom and Gomorrah being found, Jericho being found, things like that. I mean, there's there's just so many questions surrounding all of this. The Bible is a fair, fairly uh, reliable archaeological text. Right, like, um, but... But you and I both don't I believe think... just because a man says that he um, another man rose from the dead, that doesn't make it true. It's not even close to being sufficient enough for me. And it sounds like it's right. not for you. Now, but now we got a situation where we have the Gospels written at least 10 years after Paul, at least most people believe that, and some 20, 30, 40, 50 years later. How does that, and it's anonymous, the Gospel writers don't identify themselves. How does this help you get any closer to, that, to believe it? So it is an interesting claim that he says the Gospel writers don't identify themselves. This is a weird talking point that I haven't been able to verify the earliest manuscripts that we have are titled, you know, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Do we have any manuscripts without those titles on them? How how do we know that those titles aren't original other than just conjecture? And I, th I think it is just conjecture that they're throwing out there because we don't have that manuscript without those those titles on them. Yeah, I mean, I think that I think whether or not the gospel writers are, they're technically anonymous in that they don't say, hi, my name is. Um, but I think there's there's good evidence for who wrote them. Sure, but um, but if, if you were hearing a claim and someone's saying, I, Paul, saw this, I, he appeared to me, that is more powerful than, and Mary went to the tomb and she saw... It's way more powerful than a third-party hearsay account, right? 
when someone says, I saw this. So if you don't believe a guy who says. Jordan writes, all Plutarch is anonymous. That's interesting. Are you saying that uh, Plutarch doesn't identify himself as the writer of his works? Because that would be that would be actually a good thing to point out. It's like authors don't necessarily have to put their name within the work. They might just put it on the title page. If you're writing a letter, you just might put your name on the letterhead and then that stays with the letter, right? And so the gospel's not identifying the author. I, I think it's speculation. I, I think it's more speculation than, than truth. I saw this. Why would you believe accounts where she saw this, he saw this? Well, I think that well, Matthew, for instance, would have been an eyewitness. If we're if we're kind of presupposing that Matthew wrote this, he's not like a third party. But why would you um, presuppose? Like, well, you were saying you were kind of saying from an internal critique perspective is kind of what I thought you were saying in terms of like, okay, let's say that we have, you know, this document. All this is saying is, you know, this person saw this and this person saw this. Mm -hmm. I would say, well, if it's Matthew, he is talking about essentially what he saw. And then you've got Mark, who is, he was a companion of Peter, I believe. I think Mark is kind of generally understood as uh, being written from Peter's perspective. But, um, and obviously you would contend with all this, like John isn't John, like the eyewitness, but if he is, then that's, that significantly okay, strengthens. You, let's review. You do not believe based on Paul. Paul himself said, I saw this, Jesus appeared to me. And you said it wouldn't be enough. But if we had just the gospel of Mark, would you believe? So am I in the hypothetical, am I living like now in the 21st century or yeah. am I like someone that he's talking to? You're living yeah. now. There's a lot of time being spent on this. I think I think we should jump forward. Uh, we'll give them three minutes to come to a different topic. That a that a man rising from the dead is a claim that's like, whoa, I've never heard of such a thing ever happen before. But so I was going to use this for your flying example, but then maybe that's a little bit, you know, outlandish. But if we bring it to the center of Jesus and being raised from the dead, do you think that if you believe in God, like a creator, an all-powerful being and stuff, that you hearing about a man rising from the dead becomes more plausible in your mind? No. Why not? Uh, well, I could even use the lingo of uh, some believers in, because of natural theology, because we exactly what you said when you started talking about this, you agree that we don't see people rising from the dead. So we know that if there's a God out there, this is not how he tends to act. This is not how he tends to interact with the world. So not only do you have to believe that the claim that this man rose from the dead, but I tend to believe people when people tell me that they've had certain experiences, I just don't discount them offhand. Uh, you look at their body language, you, you see um, their micro expressions to see if they're just leading you on or if they actually believe what they're saying. And if it's in a context where they have nothing to gain, you know, I'll believe their supernatural experiences. And so if someone said that they saw someone rise from the dead and they seem genuine, I'd believe that person. But you have to also now add to that claim that that this God desired to do it. 
Right. So, so for you, it's not only, okay. So let's say, what would convince you that God desired to do it? Like what, like, you know what I'm saying? Like a miracle today. So you have an awful, awful, so you would need to see someone rise from the dead. That'd be a great and have start. An experience with that <laughs> to be able to then believe that somebody else rose from the dead. Yeah. So um, that would break that whole um, natural theology problem. Right. Jordan points out that many people have claimed they've seen people rising from the dead. If I'm reading Jordan accurately. Yeah, that is a common claim today that people have seen these things. What makes their claims false? If if you were to take me to a cemetery, Drew, and pray in the name of Jesus, not in the name of Allah, but not in the name of Vishnu, name of Jesus, that a certain dead person who's been dead for a long time would come bubbling through the dirt. And we both look at each other and go, wow, it actually happened. My whole worldview would be crushed in an instant. What's interesting is uh, there was a whole series on Braxton Hunter's channel in which they talked about supernatural experiences with various guests and a reoccurring theme and a theme in my experience talking to people is that the name of Jesus actually has effective power against um, supernatural evil forces that it has stopping capacity for the, these types of night terrors or whatever they're experiencing. And so just hearing evidence like that, it, it uh, reaffirms what side of the spiritual cosmic battle Jesus is on and that Jesus is a real factor in that battle. And so th there are supernatural experiences involving Jesus and Jesus's name and the efficacy of his name. And so things like that should be considered in our data set. Right. Um, two, two things. I just want to make sure I understood what you were saying earlier, and then I want to respond to that. So you would say that if someone came to you with a resurrection story like Jesus mm -hmm. and you believed in God, you believed he was able to do that. The only way that you would know that he was willing, like you would need to know that he was willing to do that. And that's something yeah, that you'd have to connect the dots. To like, like, for example, and, there's many people in history who have claimed to be a deity, right. And claim to even do miracles. Um, and I'm, guessing that you don't believe all those claims even if it's i i do believe a lot of those claims i believe that a lot of people have had power to do those it's it's like in the ancient world when paul's dealing with these pagans worshiping these pagan deities the claim is not that these are n not real it's it's not that the pagan deities don't exist he paul writes what they're sacrificing they're sac sacrificing to demons yes there's real supernatural elements that are involved in this pagan worship and uh well, we don't we don't worship that side of the equation we worship yahweh we worship god uh, witchcraft within the bible is not banned because it's fake it's banned because it's real that these things are real i do give cr credence credit to these claims written down somewhere so just because even if Jesus walked on planet Earth and said, I am God, and and these claims are written down, that doesn't mean they're true. Right. Right. But I guess I'm just asking in terms of your in terms of your perspective, you would need to see someone raised from the dead. 
to believe that an omnipotent an omnipotent being was willing to raise people from the dead, yeah. and then that would lend. I think an incantation, a saying, it'd be like, "Drew, can you pass me the water?" Well, Drew doesn't pass people water. That's not in his nature. Drew doesn't pass people things. And I say, but I am going to test it. Like, Drew, can you pass me the water? And you pass me the water. Oh, Drew has the capability to do these things. He desires to do the things like this. I'm basically saying that's what I would need to see for your God. So it's it's interesting. How about evidence like Rasputin's death, where they give him enough poison to kill horses multiple times over. They shoot him. They stab him. They club him. They throw him over into the ice. And uh, when his body's found, it's like it's clawing on the ice to get out. It's like, I, I don't think he was, that's a normal human physiology going on there. There, there might be, there might be something else happening in, in that individual, right? There, there's, there's some evidence that we might have to consider about that instance. Right. Okay. Gotcha. Um, it would separate hmm. the deistic type God from a God who actually does interact. So, so it seems to me like you would have to personally experience something supernatural in order to believe that anything supernatural like Jesus being raised. I can think of like the past. I can think of uh, things that could happen. Like I might not have to be there, but uh, it's. I'm sure you would love to see someone being raised from the dead or an amazing miracle. Have you seen an amazing miracle? Um, I mean, I think probably not in the sense that you're describing, um, but like not to get too sentimental or whatever, but I, I'm, I'm pretty convinced that our daughter is a miracle. I mean, she, she shouldn't be alive, but, um, Why is that, is she sick? She was born at 25 weeks and five days and she was 525 grams, which is one pound 2.5 ounces yeah i have a niece like that but here's hmm. but here's the question drew would your daughter be alive if she was born 200 years ago no 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 so it's not god that is the reason why your daughter's alive it's well humans i don't i don't know that i don't know that we can say dogmatically that it definitely was not god yeah, there, there's been a lot of cancer cases that uh, I've I've known people who've told me cancer stories where the cancer has disappeared after there's no hope from the doctors and they pray about it fervently. And so it's it's like, uh, I don't think it's all just coincidence, right? That's what uh, Pine Creek's claim is going to have to be, that all those instances are coincidence. And those people would be, they, they, they wouldn't be dead 200 years ago in those cases because modern medicine didn't save them. Modern medicine couldn't save them, and they were saved anyways. Oh, yeah, you're but, right. But but when you answer the question 200 years ago, she'd probably be dead. That says something, right? It's medical science is what saved your daughter. Well, and I guess and I guess that's my opinion too, right? Like it, 200 years ago, maybe if we had prayed like we did, and, you know, and there were probably hundreds and hundreds of people praying uh, that she would have survived. I guess we don't know. But I wanted to address what you said about the. Um, oh, hang on a second. What, you just, you just tugged on on something inside me here because I re get really bothered when people attribute medical science to God answering sure. prayer. Like to me, that sure. is so sickening. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm 
skeptical. I'm a skeptical type person, maybe as you've inferred. Yeah, some people put too much credit in modern medical science, right? Uh, it's it's interesting with my son's cancer that uh, the the doctors they didn't know what to do for him really because all his blood work was normal, but he had cancer. They they couldn't really detect it with normal normal tests until they biopsied one of his lymph nodes. But his blood work was all normal, and his blood work was operating very oddly during the whole chemo process in which they accused my wife and I of not giving him chemo pills because it just it, his blood counts were not where they were expecting them to be and so my my son's entire cancer experience is medical I won't say incompetence but just shows the ignorance of the medical process human physiology is something that we have not mastered uh, death rates go down when doctors go on strike. Uh, medical incompetence is one of the leading cause of deaths. Putting too much faith in these medical professionals for saving people is probably not a good idea. But um, yeah, I guess it can be a challenge sometimes when you feel like, uh, oh, but this can be explained by, you know, XYZ thing or whatever medical intervention type of thing. But yeah, because my dad claims that, you know, God saved him from cancer. My uh, sister claims that God saved her from MS, and yet she died from MS. It's, I think it's just a way right. for Christians to feel good about bad situations or have some type of hope. Right. Look at the absolute projection. That's that's what all these people with their faith in the doctors, that they're like, oh, man, if we just get these COVID vaccines, oh, they're going to save us. The science says get some boosters and then we'll be good. We'll be saved from, from this scary virus. Oh, how's that working out for you guys? How is that working out for you guys? Your, your, your faith in, in your scientists. Just a way to communicate. With Trust the science, bro. For you. Trust the science. <laughs> but like, it... and you feel like you're, because your dad, when he went through the camp, like he went through cancer treatment, presumably, and then it was like he went into remission and stuff. And therefore yeah, they, the, it the, wasn't the cancer treatments the actually almost killed him, but it worked. It killed, <laughs> almost killed him, but it definitely killed the cancer. So, right. I mean, mm. and then people say, I'll give all glory to God for healing me. I mean, come on. Like, we have to be honest with ourselves. Drew writes, it's actually medical incompetence that almost killed our daughter. Yeah, it's like these medical, these uh, we're, we are trained in society to give them high respect, high praise, high honor. And when you start dealing with them about your own body, and you know your own body better than them, you'll figure out pretty quickly these people are just, they, they're trying anything. They don't listen to the patients. Often the patients are correct where they're wrong. My wife had a urinary tract infection and she goes in and she's like, I have a urinary tract infection. And the doctor says, oh no, you don't have that. And so we'll do all these other tests and uh, uh, give her all this other medicine or whatever. Uh, it turns out it's a urinary tract infection. And uh, all she needed was the antibiotics that she's not allowed to get because the government stops you from getting over-the-counter antibiotics to solve your own problems. You're going through this fake medical uh, degreed individuals with these this, these fake honors who don't know what they're talking about often. It's the key. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I can't 
judge uh, other examples and stuff like that, but I admit that I am often. And, and doctors, they're, they're very much politically biased, politically motivated, and risk adverse. And so if there's something that, uh, like a unique way to treat something and that that's also very risky, they won't take it. it even because it might look bad on them. It might count against them. They might get sued, things like this. They're risk adverse. And so they're going to over-medicate rather than over-prescribe, over-diagnose, and over-test rather than allowing people to heal naturally. Been quite skeptical. I mean, like, I don't know if you've listened to some of Braxton Hunter's new podcast where yeah. he what's it called um drew writes you have to be very assertive with medical professionals yeah this this faith in science like i have no respect for these these uh, trust the science bro people absolute and garbage I, I confess like i'm i'm just a skeptical type person you know even as a christian and like i said uh i guess as i, I as i've alluded to our daughter being the main example i can't really think of any other uh you know, just like a real clear kind of God did this moment. Um, you know, I, so maybe that's why. Forgive me, but I, inside I'm I'm smiling a little because when I hear a Christian like yourself say, "I'm a skeptical type person," I'm thinking, "No, you're not. If you were really skeptical, <laughs> you would say we could have the New Testament exactly as we see it today, and yet Christianity still." But you see, Doug, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. So if you had just a little bit more, you could do it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, is it is but I wanted to is it is it mostly it never fails it's like you find an atheist like you think it's like going to be like a rational level-headed person and then you go to their page and it's all covid hysteria trump derangement syndrome things like that like these guys are just pundits they, they just have a different faith they're they're just as fanatical as normal human beings it's like you guys don't aren't especially rational because you don't want to view life as purposeless, meaningless. And so there has to be a God, first cause, there has to be a God. And then somehow you link that into Christianity. Is that what's really- Drew writes, what we learned from all this is that Fisher hasn't been to a doctor in 15 years. That's probably very close to the truth. Maybe maybe once a year, if even. Going on? I mean, certainly I think that's kind of like a logical entailment of atheism is you kind of have to, you know, obtain or, or I don't want to use the word like conjure because that sounds kind of uncharitable, but like the whole like uh, existentialism of creating for yourself, you know, your own purpose and stuff like that. Otherwise, there is none. Um, but as far as Sorry, what was your question again? You were saying, oh, like I just got a text. Why? I just got a text from um, <laughs> from from Tyler. He's making me laugh. Tyler's listening oh, right now, he? and he is he? he wants to come on, but he's enjoying me um, lighting your butt on fire. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's great. I'm I'm here to entertain. Here to entertain <laughs> Tyler. Uh, um, I want to, I, I wanted to just ask this and then I should probably go because our daughters. Yeah. So Drew writes, Pine Creek is a conservative. Apparently. I don't, I don't know what that means. What's, what's he trying to conserve something about modern culture. It's that probably makes him a bad guy. going to be if she's not already waking up from her nap here soon, but, um, this is why I, I, I haven't been able to come on is because inevitably you're like streaming during a time when I can't jump on. But so you talked about like seeing someone rise from the dead. 
and I've heard you say, so here's my thought experiment, Doug. We'll, we'll finish this. Mm -hmm. Let's presuppose that something like conditional immortality or annihilationism is true, just for argument's sake. Okay. And you, so there's the story of Lazarus mm -hmm. and Jesus basically says, I'm glad that I wasn't here because now I want to raise him from the dead so that you will believe. So his purpose, his self-stated purpose in that account is so that they will see Lazarus rise from the dead and then believe in Jesus. So it seems to me, based on things that I've under, understood you say before other broadcasts, that if, if I were just dead... Drew, Drew says, I thought Pine Creek was lying here, but Vela totally came on. I am not staying for that portion. We, we're not reviewing that portion. We're cutting out before Vela starts talking. Ed, that would be better than living forever. So if you saw someone raised from the dead, like if, G if you were there and you saw G Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, wouldn't, would you just be like, no, nah, I don't care. I'd rather die. Well, yo, no, yeah. If you saw Lazarus raised from the dead, would you dismiss it, come up with some sort of naturalistic explanation? And the answer Pine Creek should say is yes, he would, he wouldn't believe it as a miracle. The question is, would I believe it's true? Would my confidence be raised whether if it's true or not? That is a different question than would I follow it? Right. Right. So I could yeah. I could become a believer that that Christianity is true and still reject it because of the reason you said I do not want to live forever in heaven. Just gr so grant the point. Two separate issues. So I would need to see some some amazing evidence that these amazing claims are true, and then. Once I'm, my confidence is raised that, okay, naturalism is false, supernaturalism is, is, is possible or true, and uh, then I would have to figure out what version of Christianity is true. I mean, there's so many different versions out there. Um, and I've come to the conclusion that I probably would be a Pete Enns type of Christian. I don't know what that is. What does that mean? Uh, basically, almost like a Marcionite. <laughs> Uh, you okay. believe uh, it, that, okay. The New Testament is true, but the Old Testament isn't. Yeah, but even some things in the New Testament, like hell and whatever is, is you okay. know, just made up to get people to stay in the belief or whatever, or it's just, you know, misunderstood. But yeah. So, so this was an interesting thing that Pine Creek grants, that he would, if he saw a resurrection take place, he would become a Christian, but uh, basically, basically a Marcionite. Which, which is which is interesting. It's like if Yahweh's power is being invoked for this raising, why would you say, oh, the Old Testament God is evil and then there's a New Testament good God? Wouldn't you, you, you could just be like, God exists, but I don't like some of the things he's done. And so now I'll be in rebellion against him. Maybe, maybe that is his position. Maybe that's what he's talking about. So you would, so if you saw, like hypothetically speaking, if you're standing there, you see Lazarus rise from the dead, you believe that all of this is true, that the supernatural is true, but then there's still an absence of personal trust and you called it like following Jesus, right? Like, right. Like, is he a so, God worthy to be worshiped? That'd be the next question. Sure. He rose, okay. raised someone from the dead, but does that mean I should worship him? Okay. So let's say there's no and hell. Um, well, we're for for argument's sake, we're we're presupposing that 
that in your mind, the consequence of not trusting in Jesus is I'm. The, the funny thing is that people are very much practical. And so if Pine Creek was born during Soviet Russia times, uh, he wouldn't be having this questions like, is Stal <laughs> Joseph Stalin a good guy that I trust and follow? He would just be like, I don't want to die. And so I'm going to follow Stalin. I'm guessing it. We, we live in a time and place in which we are insulated from a lot of our opinions and actions having practical consequences. But traditionally, historically, when people actually suffer practical consequences for their beliefs or actions, they, they act in practicality rather than ideological purity. I'm just going to get destroyed and wiped out in the end. So we're, so we're presupposing for the argument's sake that view of hell. Uh, that you're just going to be annihilated? Sorry, I'm playing. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> In my view, there's not a lot of pressure to then follow it. Right. So. And that's why I think and that's, ECT was, was made by men to get people to be scared. Right. Um, so I, I guess that's kind of what I what I've been confused about. I, I guess basically I'll just say this, and and then you can say what you want, and then we'll close. But um, is that it seemed to me based on what I heard from you, if you actually saw something supernatural that confirmed to you that Christianity was true, that you still wouldn't trust in it because you'd rather die. Well, I would have to. Like you I would have to. I might trust in it depending on what version of Christianity. I conclude is true. Well, we're just saying we're just saying kind of like, mere Christianity, right? That like Jesus rose. Did from Jesus drown babies in the Old Testament? That would be my one of my first questions. Do you believe Jesus drowned babies in the Old Testament? Uh, in terms of in the global flood, like, did, yeah. is, do I believe that that was true and accurate? Yeah. Yeah. So, like, to me, it's a little tough to worship someone who actually drowns babies. That. I, I guarantee he does it. Uh, just just start talking about uh, the presidents that you, that you adore. But you're okay with that? Seem to be. <laughs> I mean, I I, I think that you know, like if you like FDR um, firebombing Germany, if you like uh, Truman nuking uh, nuking Japan, you're you're already doing this. You know, like I said, I think we all have our price tags. You know, I think that there are certain things in the scriptures that are difficult to wrestle with or difficult to think about. You know, different people come to different conclusions on that. But, um, but yeah. You, poof or drown? What, what, what's your answer to that one? Do you know what I'm asking? Yeah, I think I've I think I've heard you asking this, and I think I came up with an answer, but I can't remember. I can't remember what it was. And now I feel like I just want to be like, let's close it down and I'll come back to you on that later. To be continued. <laughs> you don't want to say poof or drown or you don't want to get, give me an answer? Well, I, I guess I just don't want to give an answer because I remember giving it a lot of thought and I had like... Poof or drowned? Um, I must have missed what he's talking about. What What's the contention? I had something occurred to me and i was like oh it'd be really good to ask him or to say or whatever and now i can't remember what it is so i just rather but you know you're in, not saying you're in heaven with god and god says i'm going to execute my justice i'm either going to drown everyone or just poof them out of existence 
except for Noah's family. They're both moral choices because God's giving them. And if God's asking you, Drew, would you prefer I poof them or drown them? What would you say? What if there is good purpose in... He's giving you two options. He's saying both options are moral because he's giving them. Right. I mean, I guess I'm just thinking. So the argument seems to be like um, how God kills people is also important and reflects on God's moral character. Well, God just used naturalistic means to accomplish things, and that's pretty normal. And so some some people uh, deserve drowning deaths more than poofing out of existence. Um, is there a way to elongate someone's death? I, I would opt for that for some individuals that it seems to me that there there's an there and, could be an added benefit of destroying through a flood in the sense of the 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 outcome of fearing god as opposed to oh yeah just you know well the people who would fear god after the flood are already fearing god because they're noah's family well i'm talking about when the story's told you know it's like it's passed on and stuff like so actually, you don't even know the story at this point. Like you. So like the movie Law Abiding Citizen, I like that movie. In that, this man's family is killed. He hunts down the killers, and he gives them the most agonizing, torturous, elongated death that he possibly can, injecting them with like adrenaline to keep their pain going. It's like, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't see. He did nothing wrong have a veiled ignorance you've never heard the flood story ever in your life but you know god's real and god says poof or drown you say what right um again i mean i i guess i'm just what if we change personally it? you have a daughter do you have any other children yeah yeah i think i think i've heard you yeah. i've heard you they're already talking about his daughter. What are we? What are we talking about? Make this argument. Before. God has told me that your daughter needs to die, and it's either going to be through poofing or drowning. Both are moral, but for yeah. morally sufficient reasons, your daughter needs to die. Do you prefer yeah, your I daughter would say, die through poofing or drowning? Yeah, I would say poofing. See but how then fast my, that was? my follow up. <laughs> my yeah, my follow-up question though would be like, why? Why does that make Christianity more or less likely to be true? Because where do you get your sense of right and wrong from? Where? What, how would you answer that? Your conscience. Where does that come from? Yeah, God. God. Yeah. You notice that what I'm doing is I'm pitting your own conscience that you would say comes from God against God, because God did something that your conscience would not do. So God looks down, sees all mankind is wicked. Um, they have lost their way. They're doing the most outrageously wicked stuff. And Pine Creek wants him to poof them away. And that, that apparently it should be our moral answer of how to deal with this situation. Uh, you know, uh, I, don't, I, I don't feel like that's the case. But that's also like removing knowledge from my brain, such as the flood and the consequences and uh the adam's given me more recommendations he says you'll like the movie death sentence with kevin bacon yeah i'll probably have to look into that uh, i was going to do a podcast on movie for men and movie for men 
it'll focus on characters who are internally driven, have uh, strong ideological uh, ideological concerns, or or very very much very much focused on what more morality and rightness and justice. And uh, movies like Payback with Mel Gibson, where uh, he's internally driven to right some sort of perceived wrong against all odds. And uh, like like in the movie, he's only after like $40,000 and everyone is thinking that he's after like $100,000 or more. And he's like, no, I just want that $40,000 back. That's the whole movie. I, it, it's, 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 not about, it's not about the money. It's about the principle of the thing. So movies where men are motivated by principle and do whatever it takes to practically achieve their objectives and fulfill those principles, movies like that, I think, are actually fantastic. The wisdom that there can be in, in fearing God because of something like that. Fearing God, even though God said he would never do it again. What do you mean? God said he would never fled again. Right. So yeah. if <laughs> you, so you don't have to fear that that's going to happen. Never again. destroy the earth again. Right. No, but you would no, but you would fear a God who killed people. So do you fear God? Like that type of fear that he could actually smite you and kill you? No, I don't think so. But I don't think it's a because I don't think it's a warning to people who would who would receive him. Um, you know what I'm saying? Like the the warning and the fear would be for those who are in a position of rejecting him, not for those that are uh, friends with God or who God is for and not against. Yeah, for, I should I should fear him. Yeah. Well, and I think I mean I think we should all fear God, but I guess I'm just <laughs> saying that I don't think that the Christian fears. Uh, or should fear being destroyed because then what's the consequence of that? You, you get resurrected and, and then you live with God forever. How, having said that, I will say that after having children and being married and stuff like that, death becomes a lot more fearsome because you have like people that you're responsible for and caring for and stuff. So in that sense, I suppose you could say I would fear being destroyed or dying or something. Okay. Doug, you're not smiling. I feel like we're supposed to end on like a happy note here. Adam says, God said he wouldn't flood everything again. He didn't say he wouldn't destroy everything ever by some other means. Well, if you read um, uh, the passage, there's there's two statements that God makes about the destruction of the earth. And one, he says he'll never destroy the earth again. And then the other, he says he'll never flood the earth again. So it does happen twice. And one of those claims is he's never going to destroy the earth again. And the second claim, I think, is just like a general thing. It's like, I just flooded the earth, so I'm never going to destroy the earth again. But to, particularly, I'm not going to destroy it with water. And so the reason Adam's saying that is because there's this idea that God's going to purge the earth with fire, kind of like a reformation, kind of like a flood, but reenacted with fire. I, I think that's precluded by the Genesis promise. Here or something. It's so somber. <laughs> I just, I'm, maybe I'm playing poker right very... now and, I, and my nemesis, Matt. <laughs> you put, 
you put half your brain behind you. You were t- you were talking to me this whole time with half your brain tied. Just be the guy you. with aces God. and he had queens. Oh, that's so good. Um, oh. But anyhow, thanks for coming on. Uh, Tyler's here, and uh, I keep wanting to talk to him, <laughs> but be a little more sure skeptical, Drew. Okay. It's okay, you'll be fine. All right. You can give up, Christian. Yeah. You'll be fine. Yeah. Uh, repent and believe the good news, Doug. I'm I'm supposed to say that. If I don't say that, I'm going to get in trouble. Okay. Okay. Yeah, we'll go ahead and uh, pull that up. I'm going to uh, present share screen. So here's God's covenant with Noah. Noah built an altar to the Lord and took uh, from every clean animals and offered burnt offerings on the offer. When the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. I'll never again strike down every living creature as I have done. And so this is the first promise that we're given. It's I think it's in the next chapter that he says, I'll never flood the earth again. But the promise here in this covenant is he's never going to kill every single living creature like he's done before. So the promise is no more global annihilations after the flood. And why? Why is it? For the same reason that he destroyed mankind, because mankind is evil from his youth. God has learned something about mankind, and God is lowering his standards and allowing allowing these things to persist. He's like, I'm just going to have to deal with mankind. This is how they are. We'll just We'll just see it out. So Adam says, uh, I was speaking more of Doug's incredulity about fearing God. I tend to agree that the destruction by fire in the New Testament probably is in a future universal configuration, but it has already been fulfilled. Yeah. And so some Christians say that there is going to be this, uh, as Adam puts it, a universal configuration. Uh, and uh, I, I don't I don't see that as being, I, it seems to be more uh, hyperbole or figurative language than it is. I think it's talked about in the book, in Middleton's book, Richard Middleton, his, uh, what is this book called? Uh, it's one of the top five Christ- Christian books. Uh, what, oh man, um, A New Heaven and a New Earth, Restoring Biblical Eschatology. That book is one of the top five I would recommend for any Christians to read. Also, again, again with our announcement uh, on on the God is Open on Amazon, I have published a version of Edwin Hatch's book in Kindle format that I spent countless hours revising and putting into a readable format. So, if you want to get that off for your Kindle, go ahead and we'll we'll put that out in paperback as well. But uh, I hope everyone had fun. If questions, comments, put that down below or start a thread on the God is Open Facebook page. Thank you for listening.